This is Steve Prince, printmaker, and you're listening to Studio Noise. Yes, it don't matter the weather, you recording in the thunderstorm. You can paint when the sun is outside, you can paint in the snow. You can wait, paint through one of them big heat waves we got going on right now. That's the noise. It's the noise, the noise. Because you keep making that art. It's the sound of creation. And we love it, baby. Right here on the Studio Noise Podcast. Sponsored by MBAF, National Black Arts. They got a lot of good stuff coming up for you. Uh, this year, still out there supporting artists. So make sure you check them out. Make sure you support at NBAF.org. And so this is Studio Noise Podcast. It's your favorite art podcast, you know, featuring great contemporary artists like, you know, like you like to listen to working artists, practice artists. Uh, but all this art is seasoned with a little bit of Lowry's. Put that seasoned salt on it because black people do art and black people make culture. And we talk about it right here on Studio Noise. I'm your boy, Jay Barber, printmaker, artist, third year grad student, all that good stuff here. Bringing you all these conversations. Jiggy Jazz out on assignment right now. So it's just me and you all summer long right here on Studio Noise. I'm going to keep the conversation rocking, bringing you all all this great, 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 great content. Just like our guest today, who's going to tell you all about the trip to Japan and all that. Well, we get to it. We'll get to it. Don't worry about it. It's coming. So right now, now's the time where I drop the Studio Noise question of the week on you. And so this week, a uh, simple question for you. Um, what's in your studio? What books are in your studio? What you reading? What, what, is, what is keeping you inspired, keeping you company? Uh, so we're going to make a little, little book list this week. I want, I want you to go over to at Studio Noise Podcast on Instagram. You'll see uh, a graphic with the question of the week on it right there in the comments under that post. Uh, just go ahead and post. We're going to start a book list up. So, yeah, just tell us about the books that you got sitting around your studio keeping you company. I'll tell you right now, I got sitting beside me right now, Charles White by Andrea B. D. Barnwell the, from the David Driscoll series of African-American Art, Volume 1. A book on Charles White talking about all his work and his story and all that good stuff. Full of great stuff. If you, you know, if you listen to this podcast enough, you know Charles White is absolutely one of my favorite artists. I think he is one of the greatest uh, draftsman, uh, American draftsman of all time. And that's just my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, but the guy was phenomenal. His printmaking, uh, I always look at his prints before I start my own prints because he was just that good. I can't help it. And so that's just that Charles White book. Also in the studio, I know I got a book by, on Alice Neal, her paintings. Uh, she was a phenomenal painter. I mean, you know, and, and when you comment, please don't think it only has to be black artists. You know, we talk about black artists on the show. I left black artists up. But, you know, honestly, the art world's made of a lot of people and a lot of people have made a lot of good work. So, you know, I'm not con- confining it at all uh, in terms of what you could post, should post about what you got going on. So Alice Neal was a phenomenal painter. I love her little portraits. They intimate, they quirky. You know, they got a lot of stuff going on. I, I know y'all might be able to hear the thunder in the background because <laughs> I'm recording in the thunderstorm. But, you know, yeah, that's a it's a it's a great thing. So let me know. 
head to the post at Studio Noise Podcast on IG. Uh, let me know what you're reading. You know, let's get a little book list going. I need to get some new books in the studio. Keep me going, too. So appreciate that. So I do want to give a shout out to McLean's Printmaker Supplies. They heard a little rumor in the air that we was going to have another world class printmaker on the show. So they came through and it's like, yo, let's do another giveaway. So this week, in honor of our guest, the one and only Miss Jennifer Mack Watkins, uh, we're doing a joint giveaway with McLean's Printmaker Supplies. So now this time, this time we're giving away just one kit, but it's a Mocha Hunger kit. Because Jennifer Mack Watkins, that's what she does. She does Mocha Hunger. She went to Japan. She studied it. She does it right now. She's one of the few people that I personally know, black printmakers especially, that do this technique. So it's pretty special. So McLean's has put together a nice Mocha Hunger kit for you. One great listener. All you got to do, same rules as the last time we did it. Uh, just go over to at Studio Noise Podcast underneath the post about this giveaway. You can... Let us know that you're interested in Mocha Hongo 1. That's one entry right off the bat. And then you get a chance to, I'll, I'll expand it and let you tag three. Three other printmakers that you think will be interested in this giveaway. Tag each of their names. You get one more entry for each name. That's four. And I'll go ahead and give you one more because I'm so nice. I'm such a nice guy. I'll give you one more if you share any other Studio Noise podcast posts in your stories. Tag Studio Noise podcast. That will be five. So you got five chances to enter to get this great kit. So let me tell you what's in the kit. There are two six by eight Sheena blocks of wood blocks for you to carve. One standard medium bearing, a Sirikami big baki printing brush. Ooh, this sounds nice. A carrying brush, a two ounce bottle of Bokoju Sumi ink, Hoban paste pigment primary color set, one small and medium cupper and a 100 gram jar of nori. I mean, this is incredible. <laughs> this is an incredible kit, yo. This is amazing. So, and he got three sheets of red carbon paper and 12 sheets of Shino Torinaco. I hope I'm pronouncing this stuff right. Printing paper cut to six by nine. So you get all of that, all of this stuff, this huge kit in honor of the guests that we have on Studio Noise Podcast today. Big shout out to McLean's for stepping up and doing this for us. I, I cannot pronounce all this stuff, <laughs> but it's everything that you need to do Mokuhanga. Yeah, so that's it. So head over to Studio Noise Podcast. Those are your five chances to enter this giveaway. Uh, it's going to be great. Good luck to all of y'all for getting like, it's an amazing kit for everybody to have too. So it should be pretty nice for whoever gets it, yo. You're welcome. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're welcome. And so you can listen to uh, this episode of Studio Noise Podcast. We're featuring Miss Jennifer Mack Watkins on the show. We're talking about Mokuhanga. We talk about Morris Brown. We talk about motherhood. We talk about it all, baby, right here on The Noise. So right after the break, we're back with our guest, Jennifer Mack Watkins on The Noise. The Noise.
All right, this is your boy Jay Barber back with more studio noise. I got a special guest, printmaker extraordinaire, live from wait, New Jersey, right? New Jersey. Yeah, New Jersey. Jennifer Mack Watkins is in the building. What's going on, girl? Hello, How you doing? Hello, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. That's what's up, yo. So this is my girl from way back. You've been trying to get on the podcast like a, a while <laughs> after several <laughs> uh, stars and stars, but she she's here with us now. And much appreciation to you. She does some great, great printmaking work. So make sure y'all check her out at MacJennifer.com. Why do you put your name Mac Jennifer on because your website? Because the other domain was taken. So I was like, <laughs> look, I need to have my name in this somehow. So I said, let me be creative. So that's why I'm putting things backwards. <laughs> <laughs> that that makes sense, yo. That makes sense. Because other than that, you just start adding like numbers to your name. Like, you know, 2020. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And exactly. also, she's at Mac underscore Jennifer Prince on Instagram. Uh, so make sure y'all go follow her. So we um, getting into it, Joe. You are a very accomplished printmaker. I love your work. Like, you know, Thank congratulations, you. all that good stuff. Uh, I added you to like, one of my shows that I did for Print Austin last year. Everybody loved your piece. You sold work. I didn't sell <laughs> nothing, but you sold something. So. That's good. Uh, you, you sell you sell it now. It's, it's all <laughs> different time, different times to sell. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. And so, mm-hmm. so I want to really talk about. Uh, you are one of the few people that I know that use this mokahanda mokahanga technique for doing printmaking, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? What? How did you end up with this technique of printmaking as opposed to you know just regular? You know what I do, just relief, straight carbon and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like Mokohanga, of course, is relief as well. It's just the carving technique is a is a tad bit different, and so is the the paper preparation and like the tools that you use, you know, to create the Mokohanga. And so I I've always liked to bounce back and forth between like Mokohanga and like like carving wood and like silk screening so it's still like in my blood to like do all three so even if i'm not like making a silk screen or making like a, a woodcut that's oil based or a regular relief with lino um i'm still taking some of the components in making makahanga but why makahanga well because i knew that if i wasn't able to get into my own studio i knew it was going to be important for me to be able to have a way to make work non-toxic with children Right. right. So right. 20, 2012 is when I had, took my first class. And so how do I even think about it? I had got out of grad school um, in 2009. And then um, 2010, I was renting at the Lower East Side print shop. And um, I was there for at least about mm, about five years. And I, and I pulled out of the Lower East Side print shop as a renter uh, about 2015 when um. 20, probably 2015, 2016. So I know I needed to like, I didn't want to be in a studio environment with like toxic, like, you know, chemicals and like etching and all that around. So I needed to be like in a clean, a clean Was this space. when you, were you pregnant at the time? Uh, well, I was pregnant like 20, 20, 20 2016. Okay. Like I, stopped yeah. rent, I, stopped, I stopped renting around 2016 because I was, I needed to like not be there, you know? Yeah. And so like, before that I was doing primarily just silk screening. So like I knew that if I wanted to continue to make, it was a hard decision. I was like, wow, how I'm going to make silk screen. How I'm going to continue to my practice. Like I'm about to birth my first child. And so it was like a traumatic um, thing. I remember in New York city, like it's like 34th or 
you know, around 42nd Street or so. It's in that area near Times Square. That's where Lower East Side Print Shop is. My husband came. He's downstairs and um, in the car. And I had um, I had one of my friends who was printing up there. Uh, an artist, Camila. I forgot her last name, but Camila. And she helped me bring the things down. Like, it was a hard part from transition from silk screening into um, woodblock eventually. So I started taking classes not until 20, 20 2012. So I always had it. You always always knew about it, but I didn't start doing it a lot until like twenty. Yeah. I mess I'm messing up. Oh gosh, sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Oh, so I, my dates are all wrong. But twenty twelve is when I took my first class. So I, I I knew Woodblock ever since then. I just didn't do it like full time until after Yeah. You know. But like Woodblock is just because it's non toxic and I could do it anywhere. I could do it in my in my um in my living room, I could I could do it in studio space, and so it doesn't have like a space or equipment that I need. So to answer your 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 uh, question in a long way, I just like the versatility of where I can produce and how I don't have to have a press or a space to do it. Right, and right. so um and I I feel like I like fusing all of them to all of the different techniques together. Like sometimes I'm like, okay, look, I want to carve out this area or Sometimes I want to add texture here. So I still try to keep some of my Western carving techniques, you know, developing like, for example, in the, in the work titled duck and cover and the, in the desk, I wanted to keep the texture of wood. Um, normally I would cut out all of the area so that you can have colors layered. Right. But I wanted the texture of the wood grain in it. So it just, I just like being able to combine everything. So I didn't quite like leave the other materials. It's just like, it doesn't work for me right now. Cause like, you know, especially with, this time you know yeah um and i with with having two kids now i just can't get up and, i'm gonna go do studio time like i can't leave my children so i need to be able to be uh, a mom all the time plus an artist plus a wife so yeah i need to be able to do all those things so yeah. I, i'm right. not leaving i'm not leaving those i'm not leaving relief you know i might <laughs> come back to it <laughs> um but i feel like it just works for now and i i'm really attracted to like you know, just the wood and like the materials. We can talk more about that later. No, but, um, no, that makes sense because, uh, especially now, a lot of conversations happening in a lot of schools are about how to do non-toxic stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. even at Georgia state, we're teaching, um, to clean your, your place with soy sauce, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. So mm -hmm. everybody's looking mm -hmm. for like these non-toxic remedies, uh, to doing mm -hmm. stuff. So, you know, you just way ahead of the curve. That's all that is. <laughs> well, I hope it pays, hope it pays <laughs> off because I feel like I'm interested in learning more. I know that, you know, you ever heard of that place, um, called, I think it's called Zaymaze. It's, um, uh, and they train people on how to do non-toxic printmaking. Oh yeah, 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 it, yeah. They make, um, they make, um, ink out of plant based materials and stuff like that. Right. Right. And they also are offering like pay as you wish, um, sessions right now mm -hmm. um so i'm definitely going to look into that as well they made printmaking and they've written book and done research and they go all over the world and so eventually one day i'd like to um do a residency there and learn more about that yeah for sure so mm -hmm. so break down the differences between uh the western and the mocha honda like printing techniques okay well i'll start off with like mocha honda okay so versus like a woodcut that you would do like do you use um Water color, sorry, water, water based or oil based. You know, I I use, I chip typically use oil based, and mm -hmm. and I try I started using the water soluble oil based from Speedball, like uh, okay. that professional line series. 
Yeah, I heard I heard it was a really good ink. You yeah, like it? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I feel like the difference is that with woodblock, Makohanga, Japanese woodblock, um, we don't, well, like it depends. Like there's people now who like are doing contemporary approaches where they're combining like carving, like as if they're carving like a regular Japanese woodblock, a traditional one. Um, but they would use like what they would use like oil, ink. Like there's some people who are taking it to another level, but I try to stick to as close as traditional as possible. Um, but there are people out there in the international Makahanga um, printmaking community who are pushing it to not just traditional, like just using watercolor as their, um, as their, as their color. So, but for me, I use, um, I started learning how to use like pigment, you know, liquid dispersions, like, you know, how like a liquid color and you can squeeze it out and it's just pure pigment. Yeah. No binder. Yeah. Um, and I used to use that because that's how I learned um, from my teacher, April Vollmer, who wrote a book. And um, it was funny because when I took the class, um, I always take lots of classes like when I was first learning. And that's how I learned about it. Um, and so, like, I took her class six times because I was like, I was just like, I was, oh, just, addicted to, <laughs> I was addicted to learning more about it. Um, and so, like, over the time when I took the classes, she would give us chapters that she was writing to put in the book so she would just give us like drops copies of like a chapter on like paper or like a chapter or like on oh as you know, she was writing it as she was writing it wow. and so like it was just like something that she would, was coming she would go into japan and like research and write the book and like and then eventually it came out um as a book for others i remember getting my my signed copy but long story short i took the class six times at lower east side print shop and um as you rent you know you would get a discount and then i took um Another class from Takuji Hamanaka, um, a Japanese printmaker at the Manhattan Graphic Center. They're all within walking distance. Um, but basically, um, like, I learned how to do pigment through her. And then I, we would get the, the paints would come from, the pigment would come from Gara, Gara paints. You ever heard of Gara? No. Yeah, it's like, it's like this place, it's a magical color place in, in Alphabet City um, near Lower East Side in New York. And um, you can get powder or you can get pigment. And they got every color you can imagine. And um, this this Gareth pigment, it could like become anything. So you can use it for uh, silk screening. You can use it for paint. You can use it for oil-based or acrylic Oh, this is new. Yeah. I'm going to put um, that up. And you can use it for makohanga. And um, it just depends on how you bind it and what it could be because it's just, just pure pigment. And so we would we would get the pigment and we learn how to like add water to it. But then when I went to Japan in 2015, I got the residency. But before I even got to Japan, like how did I even think to go? I would never have gone if it wasn't for April Vomer and her um her book is called um I should know the name of her book. Um, hold on a minute. It's called Japanese Woodblock Print Workshop. That's the name of her book. Um, and a modern guide to the ancient art of Makohanga. April Vomer. So basically, um, so I got to Japan to learn about how to use the watercolor in different ways. I had to like think like of myself as actually going because she was going to go to the conference to the conference. And the conference only happens every three years, the International Makahunga Conference. And this was only like the second one that they ever had. So she was like, hey, everybody should go to Japan. I was like, ain't nobody going to Japan. Like, I got a job. I got, you know, ain't nobody going. <laughs> Like crazy lady, and then I was like, hmm, why am I? Why not? I why don't I go? And so I was in between, like, you know, not being happy with my job at that time, and um, I was like, I was willing to like take whatever it took to go, and that took me leaving 
and I had applied, you know, to like stay, but they just didn't, they just saw things differently. So I had left that, I left that last place I was teaching so I could go to Japan and, um, and it worked out. And so when I got to Japan, it was a six weeks residency and, um, you were there with other people from all over the world. And I was representing the USA at a time was really difficult because that was the time of the, um, the shooting at the church. Um, in Charleston, mm. that's when that's the summer that I was there, which was very traumatic. I'm, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, um, so yeah. that was really like, I mean, every time a shooting happens, it's close to me, no matter what, no matter where, who. Um, but I was there during that time, um, and so basically, um, I was there with people from like Italy and like Australia and Canada, and um, it was in Hong Kong, and there was only six of us, and um, the founder of that of that um, residency. She, Keiko Kadoda, she passed away maybe about three years ago. Um, but she was there with us and she gave us watercolor dispersion. I was like, watercolor to make the watercolor dispersion. They were like watercolor and gouache. And I had never used watercolor in that type of way, you know. So then I had to learn this whole new way of like using, making my own pigment. I had no Gara pigments to help me out. It was not a tube. It wasn't like thing I dispersed. I put water right. and I had to make All my own. All the way own. to the so beginning, to, yeah. To pick a basis, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't powder. Like some people, some people use powder, but that powder is not good for you. Powder is like all in your lungs and everything. I'm not trying to to do that. So like, watercolor and gouache is, is that's how I learned when I was in Japan. And so, and there was no, it was no instruction. Like it's so, it's so like a way of like a different way of education. You know, like I feel like when you're in a new place, and you're and you're studying a different way how things are learned. Like you're studying about the true. Um, I guess essence of like apprenticeship and like learning as you go and experimenting and taking note of your colors, taking note of how you mixed it. How much did you, did you add? Was it too much or too little testing out the colors? It was more like a science because there was no Gara paint where it was the perfect color I wanted. Like I had right. to make my own. Yeah. And if you put, if you put too much water into that, um, into that watercolor, then it was too watered down. So it has, has to be a certain, has to be a certain like half and half amount where the color is strong enough that it could pick up the color that you want it to be. So like the first one or two prints there, it was hard. Um, um, the, the rival, that's one of the prints I did when I first got there, like kind of documented my time from traveling from the U S um, to like, japan mm -hmm. and then um another one i did after that was the letter and that the letter is one um that is like talk, talking about the marking of my time of leaving my other job to come to japan and so i took elements of like looking at some japanese prints as far as the color palettes but basically the first two probably the first two were really difficult because i didn't have any knowledge of even how to like make the dispersion so we had like a teacher that would come in and like um like the teacher would come we only had two teachers um, Hiroki Satake and um, my other teacher uh, uh, I can't remember his katsu I can't remember his name but I had two Japanese teachers that came in and um, so they they taught their technique and what worked for them and they would like walk around and like look at us okay you might want to try this or like try to add more than one color on the block I'm like what I used to I'm used to like using one side of the block that I carved for one color another side on the other side but one teacher, he's like, okay, you can put all your colors on one side of the block. I was like, what? Because then the colors have to be kept like separate, right? So like the whole the whole thing of like just like Makahonga is like you're using like water to water. Your paper is wet and then like your 
watercolor and gouache is, is wet, right? And then your block is wet. So like all these different right. ways. And so to, so I'm, I'm breaking right quick because uh, okay. I w- want to want to give people an idea of what we're talking about because mm-hmm. because we, mm-hmm. <laughs> we just jump into it because we print nerds we just know know what we oh, talk about but right. uh, think about uh japanese printmaking uh think about about prints like hokusai or like mm-hmm. or the wave like if you think of those those traditional japanese prints or even the ones with the geishas and and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff where the mm-hmm. colors are are very subtle they're light and they almost look like watercolor when they printed them mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. so what you're describing makes a lot of sense, and I I think it's fascinating because it's it's such a different way of approaching uh, artwork, and that's just like a cultural thing. That's like traveling and getting new influences and, and learning new techniques from mm-hmm. all over the world, and not just mm-hmm. in your backyard, like here in Atlanta, and just stay here forever. Uh, like mm-hmm. you know, to go out and like find these new techniques. So uh, mm-hmm. that's why I think it's fascinating because it's 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 something that you don't always see people do. Uh, that much like you kind of mm-hmm. kind of primming and fall into like the same circles all the time and, mm-hmm. but you know this is a, a new technique so i didn't want to go throw that in so people don't don't feel too lost listen to us yeah yeah and so like exactly that so like what you're seeing like if you look at like a like a hokusai like i saw that like the hokusai you, you said it looks like watercolor well because they they did take their pigments you know and they did make their own their own um their own colors right and so like at a time when like you know, you think about when Japan was cut off from everything, right? And so they, they, they were the shortage of supplies. They had to use what they had. Some colors weren't available. And some colors you see more because that's when the colors were able to be imported right. to Japan, right? And so I feel like um, when you look at Hokusai, everyone should know, like, the great wave. And, you know, so, like, I feel like if you don't know that, then I don't. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you like, can't listen to like a, a printmaking podcast and not know who Hokusai is. Like you got it was right. kind of like standard. <laughs> right, that's that's pretty that's pretty yeah. standard, right? Yeah. Um, and so well, also like, one one characteristic I want to bring up is um, kind of the use of there's a lot of gradients in those prints. Like so, mm-hmm. is, is that kind of something they emphasize while they were teaching you too? Like you talked about using the different colors, but is it um, is mm-hmm. that gradient aspect? Uh, I guess I guess since you're describing it as like water water based watercolor mm-hmm. kind of pigments, that it does make a lot of sense. Um, that mm-hmm. that's just a natural thing you would do. Yeah, so I feel like um, so like the the gray you're talking about what makes a traditional Japanese print um, back then, but now there's different ways how you can change it. So every print doesn't have to have like a gradient because like if you you know if people are interested, you can study you know contemporary makahanga and see how that are totally totally their own like people are really taking it and making their own style and, and changing mm. the rules of what you know makahanga was um so basically that's called bakashi and that's the gradient right and so like i think the gradient is basically a dark to light that you see you see it you can see it anywhere but like you you see it a lot at the top of the top of the prints right. like it might be the middle of the prints um but they're not always traditional in like hokusai work for example Unga the Great Wave is right above the Mount Fuji because those are way those are that Mount Fuji is in the background, right? Right. And it's the Great Wave, but over there, you know, they it's called Thirty Six Views of Mount Fuji, right? And um and so like it's one of the view of Mount Fuji. If you look in the background, that's Mount Fuji, right? Um, but people call it the Great Wave here. That's what it is. But it's one of the Thirty Six Views series. 
but it's still called a great wave off of, off of Kanagawa. Um, so I got a chance to see those in Japan. That nice. was cool. I, I wish they could have been there. Like it was so crazy. I went to this museum. We walked, we walked, we did a lot of walking. <laughs> like when I think about, the, <laughs> when I think about like, I live um, in Yamanashi prefecture, which is the Mount Fuji um, region. And um, so we could see the Mount Fuji in the background. Wow. Um, like on a good day, like you see, it was a rain season, rain season. And so like, it would be foggy a lot. So sometimes you wouldn't see it for like days. Um, and it just depends, but on a good, clear day, you could see it. Wow. Um, and so, um, so it was just interesting because like I was able to like walk around in this country, little place, tall trees and mountains and everything. Like I was living, like I was living, like I was living inside a Japanese print, you know, and so (laughs) (laughs) that's what I felt like. It's it's a great wave. It looks huge. But like when you're walking around, those trees are huge, right? right? And there's nothing but nothing but you and land. Right. No car was being, no car. I was getting on groceries, walking around and like walking through it 30 minutes, you know, um, but we, <laughs> 30 minutes each way with my groceries. Wow. <laughs> and so like we walked to that museum and that was a, that was a long walk. We took a bus at one point, but um, we got there. And um, so it was 36 views that we saw and they had like his wood blocks were there. Wow. Like his tools were there, the sketches. All that stuff is still um, there it was in a museum. Like this was an exhibition that they had put on. Like oh, they, okay. they hold on to these things. Like think about it. Like when these wood blocks are saved, they save them, you know, cause they know that they're going to be important to, to preserve their culture. Right. But get this, but get this. When I saw it, I couldn't even take any pictures. I couldn't even, you couldn't take any pictures of your cell phone. All I could do was sketch with a pencil that they had given me and a little pad that I had, but it's because like they're called like, they're like they're treasures. So like different treasures are really protected. So they try to make sure it's preserved for their, you know, to keep. Yeah, their, that makes sense. Their, you know, it's so like, and like, I think other places have, I think London has something like that too. We have it too, but it's just not as tight lock as that museum was. At least that museum's like, nope, no pictures, just a pencil and notes. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, like that Bakashi is that gradient that you see a lot, you know, and like the historical prints. You know, and it's still it's it's a very hard thing to do because you have to be able to fade with water and, and pigment. Um, yeah, it looks it looks complicated. Like anytime I've seen like um a demo of Mokahanga, it, it's it's very different from like how you because it used like a brush a lot, and I think it was rice water uh, demonstration I saw like mm, different mm-hmm. places, and and they had like you said all the pieces of your print are basically on the same block on the same side of the block. So they, uh, and one I saw at least. And so, mm-hmm. the, uh, so tell me if it's true, but the, do your block have like marks in it where you register your paper inside of it? Like, oh yeah, that that's, that's the, kin- that's the, kin- like there's different ways that people can, I do Kinto registration. So it's like a, um, like a L notch and like, then like a, another like trapezoid kind of mark that I mark, like it goes in the corner and it goes in the side. And then like basically before it even gets there, I, all your drawings have to be registered, layered on top before you, you transfer it to the block. Um, and so that's how that's how most people print with that Kinto registration. Yeah. Some people, they want to print the whole block and then they have a Kinto that's like where they just, they place it like a, um, like a, like an L shape on the outside of the corner of the, of the block and they could print the whole block. Um, so the Kinto is like a floating Kinto. Right. Um, but but I do just a kinto that's in in the block. So you have to be aware of like how much space or border you want when you're printing. 
Um, but when you're printing, like you can do colors like like all on one block, but then the colors have to be separate. They can't touch because then the watercolor would bleed, right? So you only can put a few colors, you know, if that's, that's how I print, a few colors on the, but they're really spaced out. So I'll go through like at least about maybe probably three or four blocks um, just to get one print because the colors can't be that close to right. them. Plus you have to, have, you have to save one block yeah. for your key, your key block, you know, and then from there, that would be able to understand how you other colors would be separate because the key block is so important because yeah. that's how everything comes together. So tell us a little that bit more sense. about the, the, the residency and like being there, were you the only like black person there? Yeah. Because like, um, like I think in the whole program, I think since it started, um, it started off in Nagasawa, another part of Japan. Um, and I always was wondering like, okay, was there anyone else that looked like, like, like me that have that from anywhere in the world have come there. Um, and I think from what I know, I think I might be the, the first person historically and the founding of that program, me lab, um, that has been African American. Oh wow. As far as far as, far as I know. Um I'll get you the dates later on, on that Nagasawa. Um, but I know it started off in Nagasawa and then it moved to Yamanashi Prefecture. So it wasn't always in Yamanashi. Um so like it was just a great experience because I feel like we were there. Like I told you before of like Australia, um, Canada, um, Hong Kong, and London. And the six of us are all together, all different ages, all different parts of our lives. Um, some people were exhibiting artists. Some people just wanted to take it just because, right? So everyone's there is for different reasons and you're selected. And then we had duties in the house. Like we had like every week, you know, every, every, every night someone had to do a certain thing, like lock up the house or like make sure you take the trash out. And like, we always come together as a community and clean the house on the weekends on Sunday. Right. So y'all were like and, residents there. Yeah. Like for real, for real, like living for there. real, yeah. for real, sharing bathrooms, like, <laughs> you know, sharing where we wash clothes. Um, and so like, yeah, so we definitely residents. And it really was a community. Um, you know, we're there for each other. If we had, it was six weeks away from our family and friends. So it was, it was, it was the first week was like, oh yeah, we're fun. And then the second week came by like making work, but then you still miss, you know, part of home. So even when the hard parts, we were there for each other. Um, we ate food together, cooked together, walked to the store together. So it was just a great, you know, great time. I mean, we would give each other space to work. Like we had our tables upstairs with the Takumi mats. Um, and so on the floor and um, we worked at regular tables and that's like awesome. the light and everything. So we're like traditionally, you know, you might think of like low tables, low benches, like um, we had a low table we would sit at when we were looking at like blocks and like teachers. But we had a regular table when we were carving um, and like even where I was sitting, I could see my Fuji. But anyway, it was just a great experience because we weren't always like we didn't share all our work until like the very end, like as everything all together. And sometimes, you know, we would like go over and say how's it going but we get everyone's space to work we work from nine to five every day um it's like a job and like i had never worked that awesome. hard since yeah. grad school like un unbothered untouched all day and, like you weren't like so how's it going like no one's over your back you know like you're in a print shop it's a community print shop and like yeah. 
you know, sometimes I even, I'm even that person who's like, hey, how's it going? Like, even I'm that person, you know, sometimes <laughs> too. But it wasn't like that. Like, you're quiet, you're working, and um, you get a chance to talk to each other for breakfast and for lunch break. But other than that, you're just working. So um, it was just a great, it was a great time. I'm still in touch with some of the people who I was in that um, in that class with. So. That's awesome. And so did you, do you think that experience, like, changed uh, your understanding of it too like but before that how much did you have you Mokahana have you had done and like and how does it compare like going through that experience oh wow so like I started I learned in 2012 and I went in 2015 so I only had known about Mokahana for like three years so I only did a few prints um, and so basically I went from like like when I when I took the class in the United States I was really scared of not understanding how to add color in a confident way. So like in my earlier works, like um, what to do, like that was one of my first prints that, that I did. And that's why I had less color because I knew I can carve. I know I felt confident in carving key blocks, but as far as the colors back then, I was afraid. So I focused, I said, no one is going to be brown. So that has brown has to be in there. And I like, I like clothes and fashion. So I said, I got to color the clothes and the skin, everything else. I don't know. So before that I was only doing, like two colors but when i went over there to japan our first our first assignment was to do like a um a three or four color block and i was like what i was like look i only know how to do to do two colors and so we were challenged i challenged myself and by the time i left i was doing full color blocks so i definitely it definitely changed like drastically and um the fact that i added landscapes um i have a piece called the conqueror and um, that was like basically um, talking about like how I overcame like my job and I'm coming to a new country and, and it's like fire burning in the background. Like it's a really interesting piece. I'm wearing a samurai outfit. So I got a chance to look at like all the books in the library downstairs. I looked at all the old prints to get inspired. So like and just being in being in the, the, um, the nature and walking around, I incorporated landscapes. I even put in Mount Fuji in my piece. I even put in like like some some water and like all that so i never put landscapes in before because i hadn't lived like right. i never lived in that i never lived to a point where i had to walk around like I, of course i grew up in the south so i know what nature is like but like i wasn't walking <laughs> to the grocery store <laughs> we had a car <laughs> so we had a car. <laughs> <laughs> we had a car so so like it was just like i was embedded in this nature so i started adding a lot of nature yeah. components to my work um so like it definitely changed drastically i definitely have respect um for wanting to learn more and to better myself and like and just to continually to see how it can change over time like how i i only know like tradition i only knew traditional like it looks like this but now i have a, a wide understanding of like not hung it doesn't have to look like this way it could be any way you want it to be it's your own style it's your right. own technique yeah. it's your own materials yeah you know just so another, it, another weapon in your arsenal for you to use to, yeah, to say what you want to say yeah definitely This is Christopher Batten, Detroit-born, Baltimore-based artist. You are listening to Studio Noise Podcast. So, <laughs> so talk, so talk about the difference between like that and I mean, because you were formerly educated here in Atlanta, right at Morris mm -hmm. Brown. Mm -hmm. 
Like for Morris one, Brown. how was that? How was that going to Morris Brown when it was like open oh, and, and actually man. thriving? It was a great experience. It was a great experience. I would take it back for the world. Like I remember even before I even got to Morris Brown, I only applied to like, you know, three. I was like, oh, I'm about to graduate. I better apply to schools. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I applied to like three schools. Like I was like, look, okay, here. I know somebody from my church had applied. To, he had worked. He went to Morris Brown. And I say like, a black school. I was like, and I'm in South Carolina. I said, wow, that sounds beautiful. Like just knowing like this growing up in South Carolina and like knowing that the only history I was able to get was like, okay, here's the plantations here in Charleston and here is slavery and here's black history. Month. That's all <laughs> that I got. And anything else I learned about about my culture is like to my parents I are like you know and like just going around and like learning about where they're from and going to see my family and stuff like that my mom and dad educated us on, on my my um african-american history because i wasn't getting in schools you know what i'm saying so like i just thought it'd be great to go to a black school and so um i i got into there and i got into the university of south carolina but i wanted to get out of south carolina i wanted to get out so i went i'm going to atlanta that's where Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is born. I need to go to to Atlanta. And so, um, and my brother already went there. Like he was at Atlanta College of Art that also, that closed down as well. Yeah. And so I wanted to be near him because like he's an artist too, Eric Mack, um, local Atlanta artist. And so I went there. (laughs) Yeah, my bro. And um, so basically I went there and then um, I started off in art education. You know, I didn't do studio arts until after, um, the art education department had like, I guess it went through its own little phases. And so therefore it wasn't offered anymore. And so then I changed the studio arts, but I still was able to keep like my art education electives and then confuse it together with studio arts to graduate, even though my degree says studio arts. And so then I was able to have access back then we had cross registration um, for, you know, the AUC center and university center, which included back then I took classes at um, Clark Atlanta, in Spelman and Morris Brown. Right. And so I like being, being able to have different professors. Um, but I had professors that helped me get to where I was, like Louis Dossart, you know, Dr. Ransaw, um, Dr. Roosevelt, they were at Morris Brown. So that was they, they covered all the art education classes and, and ceramics and um and basic um painting classes. And then I would go over to Clark Atlanta to take like my photography and I took all my printmaking courses at, at um at Clark Atlanta uh, with Christopher Hickey. And um, I took my color theory all at Clark. And then at Spelman, nice, I took yeah. more, right? It was just awesome. It was awesome. It was not, it was not fun parking, um, <laughs> but I made, I made it, I made it work. Um, you find a sweet spot so you can find the place to park. Um, and then I took all my like history classes and like my, my um, figure drawing classes, my painting classes, um, all at Spelman. So every, every back then, different schools had different things that they, that they only taught at that school. So it really forced you to like, you know, learn, you know, different things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so there was a great time. Like, I feel like, you know, back then we had like the olive branch, um, uh, like, like the week of when the freshmen would come and we wore our beanies because, you know, we were freshmen at Morris Brown or purple and white little beanies on our head. Everybody would know we were, we were freshmen, <laughs> you know, and then like we had the student guides and like they try to like sworn us and like, oh, you're Morris Brown. Night. Like they wake us up like, and then everybody comes out the dormitories and the towers because the, the fire alarm, there's no fire. They're just trying to come. We had to go outside thinking it's a fire. It's, it's late at night. We come outside again, give us some more found history. Like they were swearing us <laughs> in, like you're in this. 
Um, so like just like just being there and like, you know, I remember the, the height of Freak Nick. I went to that, like, what wow. is this? Like come from South Carolina. Like Oh I was yeah, that was lit, yo. Crazy. It was crazy. And then it's just like the band and like, you know, the homecoming and like just like just embracing all of that and just the football games. It was a great it was a great experience. I even was I even was Miss Miss Junior, my junior year. So that wow. was even yeah, that was that was pretty fun. Walking the fields and like waving with our same outfits on and on the on like the floats and things. So it really helped me to like be more confident in myself as as an artist. I was I was not not confident. But I was just didn't know what I had, what 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 talent I had to like share with the world. And so right. I feel like because I went to a black school, I felt it just helped me bring it out more because I just felt like kind of overlooked, you know. I, I felt overlooked when I was in school at times, you know, but I had great teachers, you know, but just as, you know, as just like coming up in South Carolina, like we had like neighborhoods that were called plantations and mm, not just now right. today, they're trying to get rid of those names. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like just going to a place where I can just thrive and like see black teachers. Like I never had a black art teacher until I came to, to like the AUC. And so I went to Lawrence Brown and took classes, you know, at Spelman and everything. That's real. So I was like, wow. But then I didn't have, I never had a, a white teacher when I was at AUC until I had Mr. Chris and Ricky said, well, he must be a cool cat if he comes from <laughs> wherever he at Clark Atlanta and he's still, and he's still there. Chris and Ricky, if you know who he is, he's a local artist as well. And um, we, I'm still in contact with him, but like, just because he chose to be there, I was like, wow, I want to, he is cool. He, he, he must be something special. So I clung tight. I took like two classes with him plus independent study. So it was just a great experience. I mean, I feel like it helped. It helped give me the foundation that I need as far as like drawing, right? Um, in like printmaking, because I think if I didn't have that experience at one on one, the small class settings, I think it would have looked different if I would have went to like a big bigger school like Georgia State or like a bigger art school because right. I wouldn't be able to ask those intimate questions about my work or how can I improve. I was always asking questions. Um and and that's funny because when Louis Dassart was my teacher, um, may he rest in peace, definitely Atlanta sure. Great. Um, so he, he's like, you're always asking questions. You asked so many questions. I was that student that always asked as many questions as I wanted to ask. And so I felt like Atlanta did help me to like, Atlanta, like helped me to see where I could, what I could do with my art and just see other people, other artists who are, who are out there telling our story, like in a place that is thriving with history about our people, yeah. right? Hammond's house, all that. So like, I think all in all, like our te- my teachers there would get me out of like the agency, like go to the high museum, go to the Hannah's house, write about it, you know, do a paper about it. Dr. Ransaw, he wrote in a couple of books. Um, so I was always out and about and just seeing what artists were doing on the outside. Um, and I just, just being a student, you know, at one point I even went to Trinidad with like some other um, HBCU professors nice. and I went and traveled like my junior year. So like all in all, it helped me to get the foundation that I needed to um, understand how to even apply um, these techniques for like woodblock so if i didn't have it I, it wouldn't have been like this <laughs> so switching to like when you mm-hmm. got your mfa in pratt what was the experience there mm-hmm. compared to that or did it or it's kind of like that atlanta experience prepared you to go to pratt and 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 succeed definitely so i mean my whole portfolio was was things i made when i was in um when i was in auc and i also took like a year or two just to prepare my portfolio so i could try to apply to um to grad school i didn't get in right away um, quite first I applied to a few schools and then second round, time around is, is better because I had longer time to think about like, okay, what can I, 
what how can I improve and like how how can I be looked at by these art schools you know and so it took me a while to kind of get that underway um Pratt was a different experience because there is a bigger school um and you kind of you have one-on-one, but it's, it's grad school. Like, it's not supposed to hold your hand, right? You're supposed to already come. Right, yeah. You're supposed that, to already be there. foundation, yeah. right? So yeah. I, I feel like um, Pratt was good because I was able to see how to push the medium of print in different ways. Um, I, I came into Pratt doing mostly figurative. Um, by the time I left Pratt, I was tearing my prints up. <laughs> so like, <laughs> and I was printing every, I was printing things in my own way because I felt like I was tired. Like, okay, it has to be in the matrix. It has to be in a rectangle. I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be, does it? And so like, I would even print to the, like, so screening, I would print to the edge of the paper. Like, right, yeah. I didn't care. I didn't have a white border to sign my name. I signed my name anywhere I could find in there on the back or whatever. But, um, I, I took risk and I felt like it was a place I lived to take risk. Like, okay, what does it look like if I, you know, leave the figure behind and then start to do like map making with tearing in history and, you know, excavating my own history through like the layers of things I've experienced, you know, living in this urban environment. And so I felt like I wanted to push myself to do something, something different. And um, I came back to the figure later because I was tired of like, explaining my experience to people who didn't understand what I was talking about. They're like, oh, well, this piece, how do I know it's how do I know it's Harlem? Well, Apollo was right here. I'd carved that out and this dancing is here. And so like this is representing Harlem. So I was just tired of trying to explain, you know, so I was like, I need to just find a way how to get out of here because these people and my <laughs> my peers and the people who some people in my class weren't always printmakers, right? So sometimes they're like painters or they're people taking elective courses. And so I left the figure, and so then I started to do the um, the torn pieces and the um, and this laying laying of laying of photographs I took, um, like the urban excavation series I have, and so I just started layering information with photographic large scale prints. So I moved into that towards the end of my um, end of my second year there, my graduation year, and I filled the whole room up with like torn maps. I even did like a um, a community project with Weeksville Elementary. And Weeksville is a, you know, it's Weeksville is like the place in Brooklyn where um, black people made this town. And so now um, they have Weeksville, I think Weeksville History Center is there. And so I got a chance to work with the school to help excavate and found the house. Like basically, historically, this school had found these school children had ran into it and they said, oh, what are these? Like, these are houses. And then they discovered they rediscovered this place. And so I got a chance to work in Weeksville and make a print project with the kids there. Um, and then they got a chance and um, they got a chance to come to Pratt and see see the work that we made together. I, I displayed the print quilt that we made together nice. in my exhibition for my thesis show. Yeah. Um, so I, I just I think all in all, like how did Pratt change? I think Pratt changed because I able to see what what I can do with the medium. It helped me to be able to explain myself more and um and have no choice but to have confidence in my work because I had to constantly explain like any other art school, um and just trying to find a way to can help people connect with my work, um and not have to solely depend on the figure. But now I get to have fun, so I, I like the fact that I can I'm just purely figure now. But I have I have the skills and, to, and tools to go back to this. You know, abstract or conceptual, if I wanted to. Right. So, um, so do you see yourself as the type of person that needed this kind of formal education? 
as far as like going from as far from, as you know, as far as you developing as an artist, like is the process of like going to college and grad school, uh, was that necessary for you to kind of be able to do what you do now? Or would you have figured it out on your own? Mm, no, I think I think for me it was it was necessary because I felt like it opens up like networks that you know that you normally wouldn't think of, you know, as you would think of it, right? But it would be, take you a while to kind of make connections, but it makes you network of having like, you know, the people who have gone to school, the same school like you, you know, that's like a network of people, right? Then that person might know, you know, some other way or easy way for you to get there or an avenue for you to get to where you want to be. So I think as far as networking and exchanging information, like, you know, sometimes you're in a studio and you're like, oh, wait, how do, but then if you're part of a community, um, whether it be school or organization, like you have people to kind of bounce off ideas or things that you might have problems with. But I feel like for me, in order for me to, you know, be able to be, I guess, hmm, hmm, it's a really tough question. But I feel like <laughs> I feel like I, don't, I think hard hitting questions on studio. Yeah, it's a hard hitting question. Very hard. <laughs> I got that right. But I feel like education is important. Education can happen within institutions, or sometimes it doesn't have to. It could be within a conversation. It could be in a print shop. It could be at a community, you know event or it, or it could be something now we have zoom right now there's zoom you know so i feel like yeah. it's gonna be anything but i feel like for me as an artist it was important because um i just feel like it was important for me. <laughs> i can't i can't even explain it <laughs> no it makes Educa- sense it education makes sense. is key and whatever no. way you every way whatever way you decide to get educated then that's on you but i feel like this traditional route worked for me yeah, um, it was um i'm asked this question because you know i'm in grad school so i've always mm-hmm. i always have even gone through it and battling between like how much is it worth right like mm-hmm. like is a lot of what i'm learning because i'm in this school right now uh doing this program or would mm-hmm. i would i have already come up on this myself like at some point like so mm-hmm. you know it's 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 one of the things like you know every once in a while you just get tired of school mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's when i sit back and think man i should have never went to grad school but you know, no, it, it's so it's so important. It's going to open up so many doors because it's like it's how you're building your resume. Yeah. Like, yeah that's why I see yeah, it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you know that. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel you like can, it's you can just see, like a resume builder. Yeah. I can see. I, I see. I speak only from frustration sometimes in, in mm-hmm. the way I talk down about grad school. But on par, mm-hmm. like the people and experience has been great. So, you know, I don't yeah. want to trash it. But you know, I like to ask that question of people because. Uh, maybe, you know, it's a lot of emerging artists out there listening and people might be thinking mm-hmm. about grad school. So it's good to get like all these different opinions about it. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's, it's it. just, yeah, it's really important. So I feel like, and think about it, like it's important that we go into these spaces where we usually aren't seen in art school period. Right. Yeah. And so I feel like it's, it's important for us to be able to tell our story and to be able be able to be the people presenting if we're a professor you know or over a department over a school and it helps to like you know in the long run you know it can inspire your own children like you know what i'm saying like every time my daughter goes to a, a college she thinks that that's where my that's where her father works right. she knows what institution looks like this is like this can inspire other generations so i feel like it can inspire anyone so i feel like um we just have to continue to be in these spaces to, to be part of the conversation so i think it is important. And it was important for me to see myself there because I never would have thought I would see myself in art school That's because true. I didn't see people like me when I was learning art 
in yeah. South China. Super true. Yeah. That's Super my true. question. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now they can, they can look forward to seeing you uh, in March 2021, your own mm-hmm. solo, so, solo show at the Brattleboro Museum in Vermont. Um, yeah. So now you're getting ready for this show. It's next year. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to have mm-hmm. some phenomenal work. I can't wait to see it. But mm-hmm. you also have just had babies. Mm-hmm. Right. So how is it working and and having the babies? I know you work with your husband and, you know, y'all tag teaming it and everything. Mm-hmm. But like but in your experience um, as a mother of young children getting ready and making all this work, like what is it like? What is your schedule like? OK, well, the schedule has definitely changed because, you know, we're all self quarantining during this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little different. I've been <laughs> a little different. Um, and so, like, you know, it went from like temporary to like, OK school ain't opening back up again so like now you're like okay now what so like i think like in the first couple months that it happened i couldn't make work i was like i was just like overwhelmed just trying to think about how to protect them and how to protect myself and my family um and just like all the news i was looking at too much news and everything and so i feel like once i got a hand on that and stopped looking at the news as much i could try to make a schedule and try to get them on a schedule that's the most important thing getting them on a schedule so that you can adapt Right. You know, you're scheduled to there. So like, I you know, nap time. Okay. one thirty, two o'clock. That's nap time. And for nap time, I use that time to like make my calls, emails, work and work. And then when they're sleeping at night, um, I get a couple hours of sleep, a few. And then I go into my, to my table area in the living room. That's where my studio is. The corner living yeah. Room. The living room studio. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Just the corner, just the corner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in a window, nice window. And I work late at night. Sometimes like it's like 12 or like, you know, sometimes one or sometimes later than that. Sometimes it's six. So it's just basically around the sleep schedule. And um, sometimes it's like if my husband is in the living room, he's holding down the fort with all the, with the two kids. Um, I have a daughter who's three, about to be four. My son's seven months. And so he, he'll be with them. And I'll be putting on my headphones and like I can zone out and just create over there in the corner. So I think it's basically off of sleep schedules and like off your significant others. If you're by yourself, you know, I, I can't imagine, I don't think I'll be able to make any work um, in this type of condition that we're in right now. You know, people right. can do it, but with help. Yeah. Um, but, in, but in my case, I have my husband, my awesome husband. Um, and so like he lets me know when he has his work calls and then I could navigate around that. Um, but it's summertime now. So it's like a different type of schedule. But when school is in, I'm, I'm teaching online. Right. And so, it's definitely after in the evening, you know, or when people sleep. So it's basically sleep yeah. schedules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. do, do, do they let you work? Like mm-hmm. sitting there, like are they sleeping through the night enough? I mean, he's seven months now. So he, he might be sleeping through the night. Oh, he's a soldier. He's, he always, if you hear something, he's like, huh? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like fading. Go, go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. Um, and as I heard something like we live like, like in Hoboken. So it's kind of like city. Um, but it's kind of suburbs at the same time. She hear a trash truck. I heard something like, you know, sometimes she's still waking up like three o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, not all the time. Um, but if she wakes up, then I have to, you have to just keep adjusting and keep adjusting your schedule. Yeah. And, you know, and you just work around them, you know. So sometimes I'm at the table and she's like, mommy, what are you doing? I'm like, OK, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm working on this. Oh, that's so good, mommy. You know, so like. I let her look in and see what I'm doing. And sometimes she's sitting on my lap and like, okay, now I really can't do anything. So I mean, I feel like you just, <laughs> you just, you just like adjust, you just keep adjusting. And I think that's what 
it takes to be a parent working at home because you keep adjusting and you, yeah. and, you, and you prepare. Like I have to cook too, right? So I have to oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I cook on Sunday or I cook like in the middle of the week and I'll cook like enough for like two or three meals. I just, I'm like a Tupperware pack rack. So I have like, like Tupperware <laughs> that have like, okay, here's chicken salad. Okay, here's macaroni and cheese. Okay, here's some chicken. Here's some salad. So like I do, I try to prepare as much meals so i can just like okay just go and get whatever you need for yourself for my husband or for the kids or you know for me to eat and just preparing you know and like preparing and preparing like whatever nugget of time i have whether it be like an hour before they wake up or an hour of me when my husband takes them away like he's doing now um i'm just preparing i'm gonna keep drawing the same keep doing the same thing until i can get you know to an end to an end goal yeah Mm -hmm. do you think that affects like um the work that you're making like because you know before if you had just man time to sit around and plan it out but now mm-hmm. as you're working in in pieces starts and stops uh mm-hmm. is are the images that you're making changing the images they're not make they're not changing but i feel like just the way i work is changing and it just takes longer that's what's changing like if, if i had more time when i would stop stopping and starting i could definitely you know carve a block you know a lot quicker but it might take me like a couple weeks to get two colors because i have to keep stopping and sorry one day i might not have any time to yeah. do any art yeah you know what i'm saying or like yeah. it's just like then like you have less time and you're always in the house like i say maybe a day i'm working on just sketching maybe i don't get back to sketching again until two days later maybe today it's just for emails like it's just like you have to be able to navigate all the things of the home plus you know your own personal work plus your your job job yeah pays the bill yeah you know and plus so, your husband don't forget about him give him oh, some yeah. attention <laughs> definitely definitely he definitely gets, he definitely has to get that attention definitely yeah. so we watch you well you know we make it happen um but yeah that's so what's like, up and yeah, so this so is is this your first solo museum show like how how, so, how much work are you anticipating making for the space I'm hoping, um, like at least about eleven or twelve works in different different sizes. Um, most likely, there'll be like silk screening and um, some wood block, and um, maybe even a diptych. That's the plan. And um, looking at using like I'm going to tell everything, but it's going to be some children involved. Um, cause I've always done like you know mostly female. I've done a few children, but this is going to be a show dedicated just to children because nice. I think. Um, during this time, like, you know, I had, I birthed two children and plus children are very vulnerable. And what, you know, I think about this protection and like providing motivation and, and how children are so resilient and that kind of inspired me, you know, to make the show about them, you know, cause it's for them. Um, and I'm even thinking about you making a lesson plan that educators can use, um, whether it be, you know, zoom or in person that they can use when they when they come to see the show, whether nice. it be online or in person. Yeah. So yeah, that's the, that's the plan. So I'm looking forward. Um, shout out to David Rios Rieras. He's a curator and um, he asked me to um, do the show up in Vermont. Um, and so I'm also, um, I said, when he came to me, I was like, I want to do something about Vermont's history since he asked me to do the show in Vermont. So I was like, I want to look up where, what history did black people, you know, have in this town. And I looked up this, um, this, this lady named Daisy Turner, and she lived to be about 104 years old. There's a book written on her. Um, and so I just was inspired by her story and what she had to go through as being one of the only few African-Americans in this town in, in like the early, like the late 1800s, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And so like, yeah, so it was just, her story is incredible. And so I definitely used that as spearhead. Started contacting like some of the folk life, folk life centers and different centers that knew about her history. And I got a whole bunch of photographs to reference, um, to just continue to inspire me. So I'm looking forward to this show happening, whether it be online or in person. And, um, I'm going to keep going until everything gets done. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully March. Hopefully, hopefully we we out <laughs> by that time and I, can go. I know. Go see I the know. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, are you are you making any plans for to have any kind of special uh, virtual tours or anything like that? Yeah, we're already talk. We're already talking about that um, as like a way to like get people to be able to see, even if they are not in Vermont, they can see it because it's like even six hours away from me. Um, I'm tempted to go out there this summer. Um, but like we're talking about like because the website is already up that they have done it before. So they have knowledge and they have the technology to like make a virtual um, tour of my space. So they already have done a couple exhibitions. And so I like to do the same thing for mine, whether we're able to you know see it in person or not. So yeah. definitely virtual tours is going to be something that's going to happen. Oh, yeah, that, that'd be awesome because I, I would like to see it because, I mean, chances of me going to Vermont are probably less than zero. So, but I would like to see it. Thank you. If I wasn't in this show, I, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd be going to Vermont either. <laughs> um, but now I'm going to have to. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I've seen good. I started looking, at, looking up to see what Vermont looks like and it looks very outdoorsy. So. I'm excited to see after being in the house for so long, but I'm definitely looking forward to that show happening. That's what's up, yo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> how, how big, how big do you work uh, usually when you work? Like if you're working in like your small space in your living room, like, and I've never seen Mokahanga prints be huge. Like, it, oh, like they can get big. They can get big. Okay. Yeah. Like, I just got to look it up more because I think. Not, not mine. Not not mine at this point, but I, I am getting different sizes. Um, McLean's is awesome. I'm getting different size blocks just to experiment with. And so like right now, um, I'm doing like usually like about nine by 12, you know, something like the eight, eight and a half by 11. But I got some larger blocks recently from McLean's. And so I'm definitely going to be using those um, in the future, you know, f- to make my prints. But. My table is pretty uh, standard size, but they're small. But I'm hoping to get bigger in the in the future. That's what's up, yo. Mm-hmm. What's up? Yep. So, do you see yourself um, <laughs> like getting uh, an outside studio at any point? Was that even on your radar? Uh, outside would mean in my backyard. <laughs> I think, so I think the, the kids are so small right now, and I feel right. like I just I just would feel. Like, I'm not ready to see myself as leaving away from home and, like, going, like, to another space. Like, that's what I did when I took my classes. I would go to New York City and, like, I would use a space there. But, like, I feel like once we get to a new space, whenever that is, it'd have to be something within walking distance or at least in the same town or in my backyard. Um, And I'd like to see not only, like, my own studio space, but I would like to have, like, like, a residency program, you know, where artists can... Come and come and learn from master printmakers, and like you know, like I have a, I have a master plan where I don't want just to be a studio for myself, but I would like it for it to be like an educational space for other printmakers as well. Yeah, that's dope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's dope. like my probably my ten year ten year goal. <laughs> that's dope, yo. I'd like to see it. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. happen. You can you can come anytime. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up, yo, and I love to be there. And yeah. so. You can, 
You can teach. You can teach the class. You can teach the course. Oh man, that's what's up. <laughs> and now we talking. <laughs> yeah, get together, yo. Get together. And so that's you know, right. thank you so much. We we are uh, like here at the end, but thank. I want to thank you for sure for coming on and kind of explaining your technique to us and. And you know, connected with us. You're part of the Studio Noise fam. Already, you are already part of the fam. Like you, I I can depend on you to consistently (laughs) at least comment and ask ask, answer the the question of the week and stuff like that. So, (laughs) so, yeah, I I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you asking me. It's an honor to be able to be on here and share. And you've been you've been doing some incredible work, and we're doing work together, and we're all on the forefront to make sure that that making continues to remain inclusive and not just the fad oh that's um, for sure so that's that's what we're doing together so your work and, and our work and all the printmakers out there it's important that we continue to like speak our voice and continue to share our work so that we can be able to show that our voice matters in the print world and that's for <laughs> sure so you can check her out at macjennifer.com she spells it back because she couldn't get the domain name <laughs> but that's okay come up off that domain stop hating on my girl give her the domain name <laughs> hey you can find right. her on instagram at Mac underscore Jennifer Prince. Jennifer Mac Watkins, thank you for coming on The Noise. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. Big shout out to Jennifer Mack Watkins for blessing us on the show. Appreciate you, girl. About time we got you up here. <laughs> it took us long enough, right? Also, a big shout out to McLean's Printmaker Supply for providing us with the giveaway this week. Uh, the Mocha Honda kit. Somebody's going to have a lot of fun with that. So we definitely appreciate them. Uh, appreciate the support for everybody out there to support the podcast, especially them. They stepped out two times. Uh, can't say enough about it. So I know you're already waiting patiently for next week where we have another new guest because you just ain't got nothing else to do with yourself without studio noise. We know it. That's why we keep coming to <laughs> keep coming back for you. We got studio noise returning guests. Studio noise fam is Ash Nash. You might remember her. You know, go way back into the archive. Check the episode with uh, Fabian occasional superstar Williams talking about the caper caper bowl and all that good stuff. So she is the beautiful, wonderful, smart, talented organizer behind that and powerhouse creative right here in Atlanta. So great to have her back and catch up with her studio noise fam. And in the meantime, between time, you need something to listen to, to keep you company in your studio. Um, I say in my old man blackness, I say, you got to go back and listen to mama's gun by Erica Badu is one of the most perfect albums ever produced in life. Uh, Desert Island, you only need one album to listen to to take you through all your emotions. It's this one right here. Mama's Gun, baby.
I gotta tell you, it was so hard just to pick one like 30 second song <laughs> snippet to give you like off this album because every every cut is like tremendous, yo. This it was I mean, this was magic when she was making it. Uh that 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 woman's incredible. Erica Badu, yo, check that out. And so I want to thank you and tell you how much we appreciate you listening at all to the studio noise podcast we we do our thing and try to uplift these black artists and it wouldn't be anything without your support so we definitely appreciate you wherever you're listening uh why don't you take a second and go and hit that record if you somewhere you can write a pie write a review for us get us pumped up in the charts let people know about it uh five stars only please uh just pump us up appreciate you go ahead and do that for us and so if you want to get in contact with us, head on over to IG at Studio Noise Podcast and we'll be there all day making posts. We do posts all week long for all our guests to let you know all the magic they got going on. Promote the episode. Go ahead and go up there, like it, share it, comment on the question of the week. Uh, you can send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to check out my co-host, Jiggy Jazz, who's not here, make sure she's alive. <laughs> she's doing big things. She got the Sprite show uh, coming up and a show at Mint coming up, curated by more Studio Noise fam, Miss Sierra King, uh, doing her thing out there. Appreciate her. Uh, you can check her out at Negers.Supreme. Don't forget that dot. And of course, you can check out your boy at J Barber Studio on all your social medias. To all my artists out there, we got to make it happen, baby. Nobody else is going to do it but us. Who else is creating? Who else is making this stuff? Who else is making life great right now? What, what about your movies, the music? Everything that you watching, the clothes you wear, all of that, that's us, baby. We do it. But you ain't do it yet, but you got to get in that studio and make some noise. Join the revolution, baby. Studio Noise Podcast. We'll be back next week. Peace.